Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. Summer is heating up with baseball. Can the Jays make a run at the division? Oh, <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> uh, hey, but you can bet before the game, whichever way you think. Live and in play uh, at all your favorite teams and hot dog contests. Woo! Woo! Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started. It's 19 plus. And what do you have to do, Steve? Please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex, everyone. I'm Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review. Give us a rating. Helps us grow the show. You can also watch us on YouTube now. And you can follow me on social media. Joining me today to go over the Belgian Grand Prix weekend is Mr. Jesse Blake. Jesse, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, It's fun watching a full F1 weekend where it's like Friday, there's something exciting. Saturday morning, it's two events you got to watch, and then Sunday you get the big race. I, I like these these bigger weekends. I'm I'm warming up to them. So I actually I got a question for you. Do you like the the sprint weekends? Like, do you like having that sprint race on a Saturday, and then the shootout for for pole position for that sprint race on a Saturday as well? Like, do you like that con- contained yeah. sort of day? Yeah. Initially, I was like a little hesitant on it because like I think it's a little too much content you know for the average person you know you work on a friday and you're supposed to if you want to tune into qualifying all that uh it's better to have that on a saturday for somebody but saturday feels even more exciting because it's a full race weekend in two parts you know you get the qualifying then you get the race and it's this whole separate entity and i really like it how are you feeling about um like i i enjoy i enjoy the sprint races i just wish they actually meant something because last year, the year before with the sprint races, you know, they actually set, you know, set the grid for the actual race. And I actually kind of like that, but I also miss having qualifying like really, really mean something. You know what I mean? Like I, there is something special uh, to me about, about qualifying because you're seeing who's the fastest driver and who is the fastest driver in the fastest car? And that you're seeing these guys mm-hmm. push the car to the limit where, you know, we, we get into the sprint, you know, you're not really seeing them push the car to the limit. And same with the race because it's a bit more management at that point with the tire and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I like I like what they're doing with the Saturday. I just wish it meant something or had a bigger impact on the weekend. Mm-hmm. So maybe we you have the sprint shootout for the sprint qualifying and then the sprint still is the qualifying for the Grand Prix or something like yeah, that? Yeah, kind of like that sprint race sets the grid for Sunday. Because mm-hmm. like in go-karting, when you know, you're know you younger, you do you kind of do like these heat races where that sets the grid for your main event type race You know, the following day. And I always really enjoyed that. I mean, it was always a lot of fun because there was a lot on the line and... Um, yeah, and I just enjoyed the racing. But again, qualifying also again means something to everybody. And I, yeah, I really like qualifying a lot. Um, it was a interesting weekend. I mean, obviously with the weather that had rolled in, it was really inclement, and you know the teams didn't really get a chance to do long runs and long runs with heavy fuel loads and slick tires. So we didn't really get an understanding of like who was actually. Uh, had really good race pace and who could manage the tire deg and the tire degradation with those heavy fuel loads. I mean, Red Bull Racing, obviously, Jesse looking 
untouchable again. Max Verstappen starting P6 because of the gearbox penalty that um, he and the team decided to take for this weekend. I did expect him to come through and 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 take the yeah. win, but I don't I don't think I necessarily thought he'd come through, take the win, and absolutely destroy his teammate. Yeah, I didn't know if it would be by 20 seconds like it was, which is just unreal. And there's so many layers to Max winning right now because you look at it and you look at F1 as a sport as a whole, and there's a lot of people complaining about the regulations and how the regulations allowed for something like this and utter dominance. And then you look at the other dominance and you're saying, are you losing F1 fans who are new to the sport, who don't really have an appreciation for what Max is doing? Being He's having one of the all-time great seating yeah. seasons in sports period yeah. like if you compare them across sports who has been this dominant in any aspect but fans tune in to see excitement and racing and if you start the race and you already know how it's going to finish even if a guy isn't even starting on pole you lose some of the fans like that but like for red bull you just you can't take away from what they're doing because you just have to applaud the ingenuity and just the great racing for Max and the car he's in. So it's this weird di- dynamic that's happening in the sport right now. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think, you know, for again, like, like you had said with new fans, I mean, this regulation change that we've entered into 2022, I mean, it should allow teams to get convergence faster. So when one team, you know, nails a home run, Essentially, it doesn't take three to four years for a team to claw back that performance. They can try and get it done uh, within a season. Obviously, granted, the season is still not finished right now, but we have seen teams like a McLaren claw back a second of performance, and we've seen other teams take massive steps now that they can compete against Red Bull in qualifying and we're at the beginning of the season. That wasn't really the case, was it, Jesse? I mean, now we're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, Lewis Hamilton gets pole position at Hungary, so it is now possible and that, that a team can beat Red Bull in qualifying. Same goes with this past weekend. I mean, Charles Leclerc could argue have arguably been legit on pole if he hadn't had him made a small yep. little mistake. And, and so that's what we're seeing there. It's on the race pace side where Red Bull is really kind of stretching its legs and, big part of that is the tire degradation and, and how the, the car actually uses the tire degradation. But I mean, Jesse, like, have you ever, I mean, you've watched Lewis Hamilton dominate seasons and races, but yeah. where would you yourself rank what Max is doing right now? Like in the all time. Yeah. He's uh, I think he's two race wins away from most consecutive race wins ever. I think the, the record's 10, you know, if he, he hits that, then it's, it's like, I don't think there's a good argument against this being one of the top two greatest seasons of all time. Like you have the the Schumacher season um, where he was he he clinched the the World Drivers Championship with like I think it was like six seven races to go. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah. And then you have the Vettel season where he won all of those races consecutively. Um, but Max is right up there, and it's because of the car's performance on top of having an all time great driver peak at his all-time powers, you know? So you have this perfect storm. And then the rest of the field is under these regulations where they're all converted, uh, converged together. And we've said this before on this show where it's like, 
if Red Bull didn't exist, this is going to be one of the yeah. greatest racing seasons ever. So you have all of these bunched up teams, but then this one outlier. So you, you take away from what the outlier is doing, but you have to put even more respect on the outlier because they've found a way to trump the regulations and make this an unbelievable car. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think you really nailed on something there. And we, you know, when, when we talk about just the car in general and how, you know, Red Bull was able to, to do all this, he, for those you know listening and watching, you have to understand that you know, Red Bull was only given sixty percent of wind tunnel CFD design time. Uh, they were to have seventy percent, but they got hit because they went over with the cost cap for twenty twenty one. That affected them for this season in terms of uh, getting parts onto the car. So when you look at it, when Red Bull starts up the wind tunnel, that costs them a run in their allotted time that they've been uh, given for the, the start of the season and up until June. I mean, so that's the, you have one guy who just accidentally hits the wind tunnel button and boom, you've costed yourself a run in the wind tunnel. And then if you look at further down the grid, you know, the other teams are getting a hundred percent, 110%. So that's like infinite. They can do as much as they want at times. So for Red Bull, have to be very strategic in terms of going into the wind tunnel, executing, putting parts onto the car and making sure that they work. They've built an absolute monster in that small little window that they have, plus cost cap on top of all of that as well. This is probably, we will look back at this season and just marvel at what this team and driver combination have done, Jesse. I, I think this is like, we are literally watching some big time history being made here yeah. this season. And who knows if we'll ever see it again. Like we, we may not. Yeah. So on the appreciation side, I appreciate like what Red Bull has done here. And I appreciate what Max Verstappen has done here. And then considering okay. if you also look at it, you remember the days like Sebastian Vettel and, and Mark Weber take those two teammates, right? Like mm -hmm. Weber pushed Vettel like for, for championships, right? Like he pushed him. There were like a couple championships where he blew him out of the water, but there were also times where Weber really forced the issue. Then you look at Rosberg Hamilton, those two pushed each other. You look at Volteri and uh, Lewis. I mean, I mean, granted like Volteri didn't win any championships, but there were seasons where he was competitive within the season. He was right there. Yeah. yeah. For this season, yeah. would you, is there an argument to be even made for Sergio Perez? Like they're, no, no, no. We, we've seen it time, like week after week, we see it. He's 20 seconds at, he's 15 seconds. He's doing the, the extra pit stop for the fastest lap. Like it's, it's become a game for Max to where he's just racing against himself, you know, where he's doing time trials versus himself and not even his teammate, even though they're, they're in the same car. The car is clearly built for Max, but he's e e able to get this extra even boost out of the same vehicle. And I was looking at some of the, uh, the, uh, drag reductions of the DRS um, mm -hmm. stats from the race today and the percentage of DRS that the Red Bull is able to get as opposed to the other cars is just it's otherworldly and Max knows how to take advantage of every little corner every little inch of the vehicle that he gets and I want to do like something on on my other podcast about like comparing this season to other great yeah. seasons across major professional pro sports because like you said with the cost cap 
Red Bull has a salary cap yeah. that's lower than everybody else's. And they're still so far ahead. It's an unbelievable thing that we're watching. And I hope F1 doesn't lose fans because of this. Like, I don't know where you stand yeah. on that if, if this dom- domination is bad for the sport. I mean, I think, like, when you get, like, a, an influx of new fans, like we've seen over the past few seasons, you know, it's like you kind of said there where they may not understand what they're seeing right now. And it may just be like, Oh, you know, this, this is kind of boring stuff where it's like, I mean, no, like it's, I mean, what this team and driver have like been able to accomplish when these teams are so close together, it's remarkable. And you have to hope that you don't, you don't lose all of them. I mean, they're not going to lose all the new fans that have come in because there are a lot of them who've really stuck around through, through all of this and hats off to them. Right. Like, I mean, if it's not for the fans then mm-hmm. we don't go racing. Right. So I think at the end of the day that when we get to October, maybe November, I, I do see teams clawing in to Red Bull's advantage in the race. I mean, like I'd said, that qualifying thing has already been, I mean, there are teams now that are quicker than Red Bull in qualifying. It's just the race pace that needs to be worked on. But And that's going to take a few months. But even looking at like 2024, even though, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, Red Bull's already started working on their new car. I mean, well, so is everyone else. I mean, they're... It's like it's not like Red Bull is like the only one who's like, oh yeah, well we you know we got this sewn up, we're gonna go work on it. You don't think Mercedes is like working on their 2024 car right now? Because I tell you right now they are. I mean, they can do two things at once here, Jesse. Like it's possible. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a one off. <laughs> like or this is this is gonna probably be a one off. I should say. You know, everybody else is striving towards getting next year's car right so this doesn't happen yeah. again no everybody else is just sitting around be like oh red bull did this you know they're gonna do it again <laughs> next year you know they already started working on it you know everybody's working towards next year's car as well yes oh God. um yeah but. for uh this this race in in particular uh cu- coming into it i mean when you i don't want to say put a grade on it but when you we already know Max Verstappen's like an A plus. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yes. for for Sergio Perez, like, what would you what would you grade him up to this point in the season? In the season as a whole, it's somewhere I think in a B. You know, you you it should be every time Max finishes in first, Perez is there in two because you have the same car. The car is so much faster, twenty seconds faster than you. You have to at least be faster than the rest of the field. You know, if if it's an equal car, then it's a whole different thing. But seeing him him fail in, in the sprint, you know, he doesn't finish because he has that collision with Lewis, and then seeing him complete the Grand Prix and he finishes second and all that, you know, he has a decent weekend looking at as a whole, but I assume Red Bull's not happy with his total performance this year. I think they would have expected more championship points out of him at this point. Oh yeah, I think so too. I mean, it kind of goes back to, you know, Christian Horner, you know, stomping at rumors of like, you know, Sergio could be replaced, you know, mid season or by the end of the season. And then Horner reminding all of us that this guy's got a contract with us until 2024. I mean, obviously with these contracts, there are loopholes, I'm sure. But for Sergio Perez, this is his first second place finish since Miami Grand Prix. Jesse, that was back in May. 
and oh. arguably he's got the fastest car on the grid. Mm-hmm. So I think for Sergio this summer break, I mean, definitely going to have to go back and, you know, dig, do some digging through some data to try and find out how he's going to be able to claw back performance from Max. Yeah. And I mean, granted in the, in the race, it was like 22 second gap between the two of them. I, you know, Sergio did say in his second stint that he had an off at turn 11 and that's why the gap was kind of big, but the gap was already kind of growing big. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, obviously like 22 seconds is huge, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I mean, Hey, it was probably going to be over 10 seconds for sure. And that's still like a ton of time yeah. in considering how fast Max opened up that gap when he passed him. And Oh man. Yeah. No, the, the hope for F1 fans when we saw how fast the Red Bull was, was that we'd get a battle in one yeah. and two. We'd at least see Perez pick up some race wins, challenge Max for a little, and consistently we see Max at the front and Perez just trailing behind with the rest of the field, which is, it's, I don't want to call it unacceptable, but it's disappointing if you're Red Bull and you're looking for those points, and disappointing for fans who want that challenge. I think Helmut Marco uh, also commented. I saw the quote last night before I went to bed. So Saturday night, I think it had. I'm paraphrasing here. Is a quote that Helmut Marco gave, essentially saying that like now that Sergio's championship dream is is over, he can now focus on you know being fast again. Essentially, is what it was yeah. saying. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, that guy can cut deep sometimes, dude. <laughs> Is ruthless. <laughs> like it's unnecessary. You don't need to say that. We we know Max is gonna win. You don't have to take a dig at Sergio to try and motivate him or whatever he's trying to do. It's it's uh he's he's willing to say anything. To I know, right? That's the thing uh, with this guy. I mean sometimes Helmet just starts saying stuff. Uh let me see if I can find it. the yeah. quote says uh Helmut Marco thinks that Sergio Perez has woken up from his championship dream. I can kind of understand what he's saying in terms of like, I mean, Sergio is probably like putting a lot of pressure on himself, knowing that he's got a car capable of winning a championship and then having the understanding of, can I actually do it and take it to Max Verstappen? And I think like that's, that's where that pressure you know lies. But I think at the same time, when I look at the car and Sergio and kind of feels like the car kind of went away from Sergio a bit. And I think that, is a bit more with development more so than it is with actual like, you know, driving, but at the same time, Sergio's got to figure out how to adapt to that. So like I was saying, you know, he's got some work to do during the summer break so he can come back and try and take it to max. But for Ferrari, I mean, Charles Leclerc finishing in P3. I mean, you yeah. gotta be, Ferrari's gotta be happy with this one, Jesse. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I was, I was very impressed with Ferrari because when it was uh, Lewis in fourth and, and Leclerc up there in third, you're like, okay, eventually Mercedes is going to, because their, their car weirdly just seems to come to action towards the end of the race. And you're like, okay, he's biding his time. And eventually he's going to get back that, that speed and overtake Leclerc. And Ferrari was able, well, Leclerc in particular, was able to manage the, the tires great throughout the entire race. They had a good little pit stop strategy where they stayed ahead of the Mercedes and they finished on the podium. It was it was a great great Grand Prix for for Leclerc, and I don't think there should be any complaints for him there. Signs, on the other hand, really unfortunate. When you look at uh, when you look at Ferrari as a as a whole, like for this season, are you 
I mean, are you uh, disappointed or are you kind of accepting of, of where they are considering, you know, the big changes that they've actually had internally at the team, even coming into the season with Matia yeah. Bonotto leaving? There's a, there was a lot of changes, but I still think they, they should have been ahead of where they were. You know, you saw how fast the Aston Martin was to start the year. I think Ferrari should have been right there with them. Yeah. You know, all those points that Aston Martin got early on, Ferrari could have picked up some of those. And even with the science decision to have him run out there for what, how many laps did it take? 20 plus? It was like till not the mid 20s when they finally yeah, retired the car. It was like the 23rd lap they brought him in to retire him. Even those decisions are questionable. What's the point of running him in last for 20 laps when you know the car is just dragging behind the rest of the The field? only thing I can think of, and like I was thinking the exact same thing, because he was dropping like a stone as soon as he incurred that damage, and I think it was about 5% arrow loss, which is a huge amount. And it, mm-hmm. I think like for Ferrari, they brought him in, and I thought, okay, that's it, they're going to shut him down. But then they like strapped on a new set of tires and they sent him out. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. the hell? I'm like, what are you doing? I think what they were trying to do was understand the different tire compound that they put him onto so that they could get the information to get to Leclerc to see if this was a good idea mm. for him to, to run on that tire when eventually Charles got to it. And I think that has something to do with it. But then on the flip side of that, if you're having a 5% aero loss, you're not going to necessarily really understand what the tire is actually doing. So when I look at Ferrari this season, I just, I, it just feels like they, it's an incomplete season. They got off on the wrong foot, obviously, and they've had a ton of turnover behind the scenes and they've let go or lost some key personnel. I mean, Laura Mecki's, uh, you know, leaving to go to Alpha Tauri for next season to take over the team principal role over there. That's a huge loss for this team. I mean, and now you got to try and figure out how to replace him. And so I think for Ferrari as a whole, this is a month by month, year by year thing that's going to happen here where this could take like more than a year and a half for them to sort this out. And the problem with that is it affects your race car. And you only go kind of backwards from there, but does look like they've made some strides within the actual race itself. I mean, at the beginning of the season, they really struggled with tire degradation in the race, like massively. They were quick over one lap. Charles Leclerc, obviously incredible over one lap. But like when the race kicked in, the tires just like went away really fast. Where in this race it showed a bit more of an improvement. They didn't have a high amount of tire degradation considering this race was, uh, they were predicting that there was going to be a high level of it, which means if your car chews through the tires, it's going to do it even quicker. But for Ferrari, it kind of looks like they were able to manage it, which has got me kind of thinking that, you know, they're maybe started to get this thing back onto the right path. But yeah, sucks for Carlos Sainz. I mean, I remember Jesse at the beginning of the season, you know, I was I was on the science like hype train, man. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you were really big on uh, his twenty twenty three. You thought he'd explode <laughs> yeah. this season, and it just hasn't come to fruition. <laughs> I was so disappointed. Um, yeah, with the Mercedes of uh, Lewis Hamilton. So Hamilton and George Russell running different rear wings for this weekend, mm-hmm. but uh, Lewis again, you know, he has been stringing together um, quite a few good races ever since they made that switch to this entire car in Monaco 
I mean, it looks like Lewis has kind of got the handle of this thing better so than George. I mean, I think George was learned and was operating um, last year's car better than Lewis. And I think partially up until Monaco, I think George was the faster driver, but now it's tables have turned or turned tables. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, good, good result for Lewis. I mean, P4, that's solid stuff and fastest lap of the race too. Yeah, yeah, no, I loved uh, I loved him pitting and trying to take that away from Max and successfully doing it on lap 44 of all laps, you know, it was a beautiful serendipity for Lewis, it was fun. Uh, it's not quite revenge for the world championship, but, you know, anything to take away from Max, I think he enjoyed it. Um, but seeing, seeing Lewis and George out there, it's interesting, this weekend was fascinating just from, like, a technical standpoint, because... You saw teams pick and choose what weather they wanted to allocate the car for. So you, you kind of get more downforce if you're, if you're going for, you think it's going to be rainy. You kind of ease up the car if you think you're going to be driving on wet. And with the two Mercedes cars, they split them. Yeah. So George was kind of more set up for the wet weather, weather and Lewis was for the dry conditions. And it was mainly a dry race except for that little 10 minutes where we got that, the spitting of rain. And, and Lewis really took advantage of that. And like you said, he seemed to come into his own where – Every weekend, he's going to be in either two through five. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to land somewhere in there. He's probably going to finish at either on the back end of the podium or just outside of it. And he's comfy, you know. And if, if there's ever a mistake at the very top of, of, the, of the race, he'll be in a position to take advantage of it. And I think for this season, that's kind of all you can hope for if you're Mercedes. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Uh, Fernando Alonso finishing uh, P5. That's a big result for... For Aston Martin, Jesse, I mean, they've kind of uh, they've gone backwards ever since uh, the beginning of uh, the Austrian Grand Prix, and up until now, it hasn't been hasn't been pretty for Aston Martin, has it? Mm -hmm. No, and like the two points from Stroll too was, I think, a successful weekend out of them. It was unfortunate too. Alonso uh, didn't complete the sprint race either, so no no points out of that. But I think they'll be happy with the Grand Prix, and maybe that's a little sign that they can get things back on track with of the other uh, teams around them performing a lot better than them, like McLaren in particular. Yeah. One of the things with Aston Martin, I was, you know, hearing from, uh, hearing from Mike crack on, on Thursday. And then I heard from um, their uh, performance director, Tom McCullough uh, early, early on Sunday morning. So it's been a, it's <laughs> been a bit of a long day, but like, it's interesting to note that, you know, Aston Martin brought this, um upgrade so it was a floor i believe it was to the canadian grand prix and then they kind of had a few more smaller bits that they added to the car for the next race and they felt that at the canadian grand prix they were arguably the second fastest team but the characteristics of the track are are quite unique at the circuit Gilles villeneuve than to others you know that were that were coming down the pipeline and the team and drivers were having trouble figuring out, you know, what was going on with the car when they got to the next race. And then the one after that, the one after that. So it, it looks like, and it sounded like they have taken a wrong direction in terms of their upgrades for this car. And it started at the Canadian Grand Prix and it's kind of snowballed downhill. And they've been trying to find data points to locate when, where, and how this has kind of all happened. And they've seemed to have figured it all out at the Austrian Grand Prix. They were able to bring another upgrade for this car for this weekend to help tweak the, 
tweak it a little bit. Um, and hearing from Tom McCulley, he made he made mention that uh, you know there should be an aggressive you know development path for this car. They're going to bring some upgrades for it to Zandvoort, and then again they're going to keep develop, developing it throughout the season because they still have quite a bit of budget left. Budget left apparently, according to him, they've got they do have some money left that they can develop the car quite quite hard for uh, mm-hmm. the rest of the season, which is. Positive. I mean, if you're Aston Martin, it means you can make some pretty big steps if you hit those hit those upgrades. But yeah, I think like one of the things I've noticed the most, Jesse, with this regulation change is just how, and I kind of alluded to it off the top, but just how fast teams can can take big steps forward. Yeah, I, I have a question for you in particular because you understand the ins and outs of how these teams build these cars. How does it happen? when you mentioned that Aston Martin brought an upgrade that makes their car worse. How does that process go ha- happen? Because, you know, you're, you bring the upgrade because you saw something in the, in the planning, in the like aerodynamics, you know, that that'll make the car faster and then you put it on track and it's slower. How does that process work? When you make an upgrade, you look at the performance aspect of it first. And with these teams, you know, they, they run these things in the wind tunnel to see what works and what doesn't work. I think in Aston Martin's case, it's they've ran some things in the wind tunnel and it looked like these things would work for the car. But when they actually put it onto the car and run it on the racetrack with, you know, different pavement, different types of tires, different weather conditions, bumps, all of these different things, it kind of throws, it kind of throws your, data points kind of out the window at that point because things are shifting and transitioning. But at the same time Mm -hmm. with a new component, it has to find a way of working with other components on the, on the car itself. So when these teams design, we'll just say a new front wing. So when a team designs a new front wing, that's a, that's a really big part for the car. And it's the first thing that's hitting the air when the car is going forward. And it's distributing the air across the car in different ways. So if you make a wrong move with designing that, then the air goes to different parts of the car where you don't want it to go. And that kind of ruins the whole balance of the race car. And so when these teams make these cars and make make these upgrades, they have to make it in the understanding that it can work with everything else within the car. For Aston Martin when they got to Canada and they introduced this new component to their car, it worked, but it only worked at the, uh, because of the characteristics of, of the circuit Gilles Villeneuve, simply put, Mm. where when they got to another race or they got to Austria, for example, it didn't work there and they didn't understand why, because was it tires? Was it the upgrade? Was it, tire pressure like they couldn't figure out where it was and so essentially Mm -hmm. when these teams get into the upgrades that's kind of how it works and that's why it's such a a fine detail but again that's why it's so impressive to see what red bull has done right like it's (laughs) right i mean it's been really bad there's a lot that goes into it that's i'm literally giving you like bare bones of this entire thing but like (laughs) that could be a whole podcast you literally can be a whole podcast um george russell finishing p6 
I mean, good race for George. And he's been having some really good races, just not so much on the qualifying end. Lando Norris in the McLaren. Okay, that actually that P7, so that, that P7 from Lando, that's quite surprising for me, Jesse, because of yeah. you had mentioned it with the different aero packages that they were running this weekend. McLaren running a lot of downforce, and I didn't expect them to get into the points. Oh, yeah. No, McLaren was set up. If it's raining, we're going to be the yeah. fastest car on Boy. planet Earth. And if it's dry, we're going to be at the back of the grid. And Lando, all race, it looked like he was going to start dropping back from that. Once he got into that top 10 area, we're like, okay, he's in seven now, but he'll drop back eventually because they're going to have to make a couple more pit stops and he won't be able to manage these tires. And unbelievably, he, he runs on those softs for 20-plus uh, laps. He was did a fantastic job with that, and he just stuck around, and it, it, the race came to an end, and he was in P7, and it was a fantastic drive from him. It's unfortunate with Piastri and, and not getting the room uh, there on the on the opening lap, getting squeezed a little by the Ferrari, because um, who knows where Piastri and Lando could have finished, but yeah, just really impressive from, from Norris, and McLaren as a team whole. Yeah. Uh, the last couple of weeks, they've really been hitting their stride. Yeah, big time. What was Carlos Sainz thinking? Like, because I was, I watched the replay and I was like, hold on a second here. I mean, like, Sainz kind of literally comes right out of nowhere, full lock. Like, mm -hmm. he's locked up the tire already. And for Piastri, he's a bit of a sitting duck. There's not really much that he can actually do. I mean, I, I feel, I feel bad for Oscar Jesse because, like, I mean. He's he's uh, he's really been looking good lately, and I think this could have been a good mm -hmm. weekend for him. Yeah, well, we didn't even mention he finished P two in the sprint. Yeah. You know, like he led the sprint, which is a first rookie to lead uh, any kind of race yep. in F one in quite a while. You know, so to have him out there in front, and then he finished P two on Saturday, and then you go into Sunday, and immediately that first lap, you get squeezed by uh, signs there. I saw in the replay that on the outside of Signs, uh, Lewis was sitting there, mm -hmm. and some people were signed to Signs saying like Signs is, is turning in because Lewis is on the outside of him. But he he locks up and he just goes straight for that corner, which is I think a no no. And if he got away, I think there probably would have been a penalty for for the racing incident. But since his race was pretty much over after that, they probably left it and let it be. But it's very unfortunate for, for Piastri because he's looked fantastic yeah. the last couple of weeks. And that's a rookie who's really thriving in his yeah. first year. Which is really impressive to see. I I was uh, hearing from Andrea Stella on Saturday and a reporter had asked him like where sort of, you know, his trajectory was or where his ceiling was. I'd, kind of paraphrasing the question, but essentially he was kind of uh, getting at, you know, where can Oscar kind of go from here in terms of his, his talent essentially. And, and Stella basically said, well, look, I mean, the guy's always been talented. He's been talented since the beginning of the season. It's just that we've now got a car that he can go and battle with. And I think for, I think for Oscar, it just kind of is going to come down to learning a bit more mm -hmm. With that sprint, you know, second place finish that he had, I still think there is some learning in there that he needed. Like the, he did at some points overcook the tire a bit and just trying to understand what you're doing with that intermediate tire in certain points of a race is important to understand that. And that comes with learning and that's that experience. And so, you know, I was asked, like, who's going to get the first win at McLaren? Right, they're like, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Lando Norris? Is it going to be Oscar 
Piastri. And I'm like, I mean, well, judging by the sprint and what happened there, and then looking at, you know, the British Grand Prix, I got up close and personal with that race. So we got a good look at like how Oscar kind of learns. And I, I would say it's going to be Lando like that. That's where I'm at on that. Just simply because of the experience, yeah. not necessarily the talent, but I mean, Jesse, did you expect Oscar to really push Lando like he is this season? No, not not at all. Because like we've seen what the other first time, first year F1 drivers are doing this season, and like Hulkenberg has a disastrous weekend, and and you know it's having having Piastri come in and be this good, I think is unexpected on in any re- respect. And like Lando is obviously the better driver, and if, if you're betting man, you're probably going to put your money on Lando getting that first win ahead of him. But it's just an overall impressive season. Yeah. I agree. Um, behind Lando Norris was Esteban Ocon. Alpine running a brand new floor to their car for this weekend. That's a huge performance upgrade for them. But also with Alpine, Jesse, I mean, did a podcast on it on, on Friday, the emergency pod when found out that Otmar Safnauer had been uh, let go by Alpine and same too with Alan Permain. And then they let Pat Fry just literally walk down to Williams and he's going to be working there now. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you doing? Like, uh, I mean, this points scoring position and the success that Alpine has had this weekend has nothing to do and no reflection on what transpired on Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was so caught off guard by the decisions they made because I didn't think things were so terrible over there. You know, from the from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like there's all of these issues and they need wholesale changes. But uh, apparently that's what they think. And you see how they've been racing this year. It hasn't been bad. You know, I think they've been about where they should be. And it's, it was a shocker that all of these these decisions came down and it must be like a a really like melancholy weekend for them down at the paddock having all of these people just leave them after today after the race today i think uh like you know i i don't know if you saw it but alain prost who used to work at at alpine um also alain prost the you know formula one world champion uh a few (laughs) times over pretty good driver uh, he had this to say about Laurent Rossi in an article in Le Keep that was published on Friday evening. Quote, Laurent Rossi is the most beautiful example of the Dunning-Kruger effect. I have no idea what that is. That of an incapable leader who thinks he can overcome his incompetence by his arrogance and lack of humanity. <sighs> Laurent Rossi was the CEO of Alpine, the Renault Group a few weeks ago came in and moved him to a special, special projects. Um, apparently he's going to be working more on the Alpine car side, trying to get another new car out into the market or something like that. And then they brought in a new guy and then they've also brought in Bruno fam. And I explained it on the re- most recent podcast and the end of the apex, but I mean, Prost wasn't holding back in his uh, article uh, written in Le Keep, mm-hmm. Jesse. Like, he, he really went after him. <laughs> like, yeah, the, so the Dunning-Kruger effect is essentially, like, the less someone knows, the more they think they know about something. <laughs> so, like, the, the dumber you are, the more you think you're knowledgeable about a situation. Oh so, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty big insult to him, you know? <laughs> he's, he's saying, essentially, he's... he's 
He's so dumb. Like, he has so little knowledge about this area that he thinks he has all of this knowledge about the how to run an F1 team and all that. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely not a compliment. <laughs> God, that's, that's ruthless. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, pros- I, I, <laughs> yeah, go for no, it. No, go ahead. No, no. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I wonder how this is going to affect the second <laughs> half of the season. Like, do we see oh, Alpine tank completely? Like, is things going to – I think their drivers are talented and the car is yeah. decent enough that we don't see an effect really on the racetrack. But who knows, if, if you make these wholesale changes, like – we could see some some sort of diminished return out of Alpine. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think it's going to affect them. It it has to when you you bust up a management structure like that. I mean, they just let three like extremely knowledgeable, experienced Formula One people like go, and it's like who are doing a good job. Yeah, so what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, it's just so so strange and there's a lot of people in the paddock who just don't even understand like what they are doing like they were they a lot of the journalists were grilling uh bruno famine who is essentially the interim team principal but again like safnar was reporting to him like grilling this guy like what's going on what do you do like he had no answers none like he couldn't answer a question it was uh, scenes never seen anything like it before in my life uh i was watching it i'm like what is the hell is going on here and i think like if we go back to that lakeep uh post from alain prost essentially in in there and i'm sort of paraphrasing it was in french so i had to do my best to rattle through it but you know essentially he was kind of referring to a structure of of the team and if you go back to like 2005, 2006, when like Renault was winning championships with Fernando Alonso, if you look at that uh, managerial structure, I mean, essentially it was like Flavio Briatore, like running everything. And then you had your number one driver and Fernando Alonso. And then you had a small team that surrounded uh, uh, him. And then that was the focus, but that was also which gave them a ton of success. So if you look at like Red Bull racing, you got Christian Horner, who's, you know, president, CEO, team principal, Red Bull Racing, and then same applies with, like, Total Wolf over at Mercedes, same deal over there. And those are two Formula One guys, and the buck stops with them. I mean, that structure and those teams, super successful, right? Where Mm -hmm. here you've got, like, the Renault group on top of Alpine. So you've got all these different, like, management structures who – I don't feel necessarily really know Formula One like in in like intimate detail, and that's where you need those guys like Otmar Safnauer, Alan Permain, Pat Fry, like because they've been in it for so long. Where you know you take a look to give you an example of how you know something can work with inside Formula One. You look at this cost cap expenditure thing that these teams are trying to uh, get implemented well one team in particular williams wants it so they can inject some money into their factory because it's old and they need new components but these teams need to agree on that to agree to allow that expenditure to increase and so you need votes so you need teams on your side right and if you're like an outsider who hasn't put their time into formula one 
and you they don't people don't know you there's no way you're getting like the votes right like it's super it's super difficult like like you need folks who are really involved in formula one so they can help you like on different projects on different things grow the brand grow the car grow the team so that's why this was just so strange it just didn't make any sense at all especially like Mm -hmm. even just letting pat fry walk down to williams and you know, they snap them up. It just it yeah. made zero sense. No, we, we, we know that the structure of F1 teams works best when you have the person at the top who is kind of in charge of everything and whatever they says goes, and that person is an F1 person. Yeah. You know, a lifelong motorsport F1 guy or, or woman or whoever it is. But that's kind of the structure, and top-down it flows from them. And here you have, like, the business side, the car manufacturer getting in the way, and that's never going to be a successful way to run a run an F1 team. Lance Stroll getting P9, and then you had uh, Yuki Sonoda grabbing a point yeah. for Alpha Tauri. What what you, what'd you think of that? I, I'm slowly <laughs> becoming a big and bigger Yuki fan every week. His, the the Alpha Tauri looked unbelievable at points. Yeah. In the middle of the race, the Alpha Tauri just came alive. Yeah. And Yuki was able to take advantage of that. And, and having Daniel, obviously, on his team now, is, it makes for a great dynamic for them. Because you have two r- real fun drivers yeah. that uh, people can root for. And I, I love what I've seen out of Yuki the last couple of weeks. It seems like he can't break through uh, finishing 10th. You know, that, that's his thing. You know, I finished 10th, and that's where I'm going to be. So hopefully he gets a, a, just a couple a couple more places higher, and we get, like, a nice seventh-place finish for Yuki because I think he deserves it the way he's been driving the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, that car, obviously, we've mentioned it on the podcast a million times, like at the British Grand Prix, that they've really changed a lot on the car. And I think Yuki's doing a great job of extracting the performance. And, and Dana Ricardo actually has been doing a pretty – Pretty decent job as well. He looked really handy on Saturday uh, and then obviously had his lap time deleted on, on Friday during qualifying, and that's what put him so far back. But essentially, if he if that hadn't have happened, he he would have qualified pretty high up on the grid as well. And you know, we probably could be talking about Yuki and, and Daniel battling for that final point. Uh, if that hadn't have happened, that rounds out the point scoring positions top 10. Jesse, just your thoughts on the season so far. What, what have you thought about the season up until this point, it's it's been it's been very entertaining from an outside of Red Bull perspective. You know, mm-hmm. we we've touched on it a couple of times, but there's so many storylines this year. It feels like we've had a full F1 calendar, even though we missed a couple of races. You know, and there was there was well, we missed the one race, and there was a couple of weeks in between and all that. But there seems like it's been nonstop F1 since they've they've gone underway, and I think there's a lot of storylines unfolding in the mid pack. And it's going to be the second half of the season, I think, is going to be fascinating because who's going to come with the big upgrade that's going to be the new second car or even chase down Red Bull? Because we see in qualifying, they're all right there. And it's about that unbelievable tire degradation that this ridiculous car that Max has is able to maintain these tires. If anybody can match that even slightly, we're going to have a fun second back half of the second half. season do you uh do you think red bull can win every race from here on out now remember the last team that got really close to doing it was uh mclaren 1988 where they lost one race out of all of the races that they had that season and i believe if i'm not mistaken alain pro or sorry excuse me it was Ayrton senna leading the race 
uh, he got into it with a back marker. It was a Williams, and essentially that cost them the the record. Essentially, do you think Red Bull I, can run the table here? I think they are trying their best to do it. I think they have a legit shot at it. Like I, it looks impossible right now, but it looked impossible to get to this point yep. in the season. We're we're halfway through the season, and I remember early on we all said no. By the time yep. we reached like Silverstone, like that was kind of one of the big benchmarks. Like no, by like Silverstone, people will be chasing down the Red Bull, yep. and then by the summer break we'll be in there, and somebody will have won a couple races. And now we're here; they've won every single race, and I don't see if they keep trying for it i don't see how they won't get close i'm not guaranteeing they're gonna do it but they're gonna get awful close man i look like such an asshole when i'm like a few months ago i'm like there's no way red bull's winning every single race and there's just not possible and and like no way they're gonna you know max is gonna screw up something's gonna happen and someone's gonna take the lead or they're gonna close in on the like there's gonna be another team who's gonna close in on them hasn't happened and now i'm eating my words now i'm (laughs) <laughs> I am strongly considering they are going to win every single race from here on there's out. There's a chance. Oh, there's a, there's a legit chance. That yeah. is it. That is a story. If they are able to mm-hmm. do that, dude, that is a yeah. massive story. Like ne- unheard of. Never heard of anything like that ever happening. Yeah, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be one of the greatest sporting performances ever. Yeah. you know you you're gonna start ranking it up there with like Michael Phelps's yeah uh, his peak Olympic runs yeah. and those sorts of records. You yeah. know, or like Tiger's '90s golf records or Wayne Gretzky's assists records. Yeah. You know, like it's it goes into that category of sports if they could do it. Uh, what's your favorite moment so far from the season? Like, do you have like what? Ooh. Yeah, what is it? What is your favorite moment? I'll, I'll give you mine. You, you think about. It. I think. Th- I think for me, okay. like, I would say Max's, like Verstappen's Monaco Grand Prix qualifying lap is for me uh, a standout moment because he literally wrestled that thing away from Fernando Alonso in that final sector in Q three absolute just a such such a lap never seen anything like that before i mean i thought that for me that's one of my favorite moments and then i think personally one of my favorite moments is doing this show for sure with you guys because it's been a hell of a good time dude i've had so much fun working with you guys it's been great uh and then obviously all the other things i've gotten to do on top of that like going to the british grand prix that was excellent canadian grand prix excellent miami as well have a couple more that we're going to but yeah, getting those opportunities have been, uh, for me, my favorite moments, for sure. I think I think my favorite moment of the season so far has been, it's for our dear friend Adam Wilde, who's been <laughs> guest of the show, the turnaround from McLaren. Yeah. Because at the beginning of the season, yeah. we thought they would have been down there with with Williams and Haas. Like, that's what it, that's what it was trending towards. Yeah. That's where they were going to finish. And all of a sudden, they bring these upgrades, and having, I think, the most popular driver on the grid right now, in terms of just the younger fans and the newer fans, Lando Norris, having him have this success lately, I think has been so much fun. And I've really enjoyed it, just having McLaren back in this and having Lando have all this success. And yeah. we obviously mentioned the the star that Oscar Piastri is growing into. Um, I'll explain real quickly uh, the summer break and what kind of happens there for the teams, Jesse, and then we'll get into the debrief. We've got a couple questions uh, that we'll get to because I've had some people asking me about, you know, summer break and what are the teams 
allowed to do? What are they not allowed to do? What can the drivers do? I mean, essentially for the drivers, I mean, they can do whatever they want, essentially. I mean, they can, for the most part, a lot of them will probably go away on vacation, but for the most part, keep the physical fitness high. They'll probably do a lot of go-karting, especially the younger drivers, stay sharp, uh, work on your push, cool push, that kind of thing. But um, for the teams, you know, there is a, there's a mandatory um, factory sort of team shutdown. And so, that's essentially where the work is extremely restricted to just basic functions to make sure the team keeps turning over. Uh, and the rule for that, it's Article 21.8. It's in the FIA, um, FIA F1 sporting regulations. So teams cannot work on car design. Teams can't work on car development. They can't work on the production of parts. That includes uh, planning. And having meetings, no wind tunnel, no parts can be made during this 18 or sorry, during this 14 day um, period. Now, teams can, however, repair damaged cars, but they need permission from the FIA uh, to go and do that. And they'll get penalties if if they're caught doing work on cars or creating parts, et cetera, um, all that kind of stuff. So that's essentially what the summer break is. Those four, that 14 day period that I had mentioned, uh, teams can take that within that three, this three weeks a week, they can take that whenever they want. So that's essentially how the, the summer break works. Uh, let's head over. Does it have to be consecutively or could they say, one day on, one day off, one day on, and then you kind of work in 14 days. Yeah, I think it's uh, essentially consecutive, like has to be like oh, okay. 14 days straight off kind of thing, which, I mean, I kind of understand because, you know, these teams, uh, I think like they would, you know, the team personnel need a break. Like they've mm-hmm. traveled the world since, you know, Feb- the end of February, and they haven't really been home much. And so I would... I would say they, you know, they need this, right? Like it's, it's important. I mean, people may not really understand, but like traveling the world, like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, for however many months it's been like six months, like that's, a, that's a lot. It's a lot on your body. It's just oh, yeah. a lot. You're away from home, away from your family. So yeah, these teams really need that. Um, set over to the debrief. We'll take your questions from there. And we've got from at conman 81, <laughs> Is Max's biggest rival this season going to be him and his race engineer, Jesse? Discuss. <laughs> Max and GP have the most hilarious dynamic on the radio in the sport right now. Like the way they neg each other back and forth is is unbelievably fun, and I and I live for it every single race. Like we saw it, we saw it on Sunday. Uh, Max teasing them about going in for, for the pit stop to try and get the fast lap. And then they asked him post-race, like, how serious were you about trying to challenge for the fast lap? And he says, I was 50-50 on it. You know, <laughs> I just wanted to see if, if they were ready, if, if they actually had it ready. And when they told me no, I know it's a no. And, and their dynamic, like, GB wouldn't be able to go at Max like that if he knew Max wasn't receptive to it. Right. And, like, Max wouldn't be able to go back to at him the same way. So I love it. I think they're, they're awesome for the sport, having that, those radio calls public yeah. and seeing that on television. It's great. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Like, and this isn't the first time that, like, Max and, like, Jean-Pierre Lambiassi have gotten into it. Like, this is not the first time. I mean, they have gotten into it uh, before in the past. Like, I remember, like, GP literally telling him, hey, like, you can't talk to me 
you know, paraphrasing, you can't talk to me like that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, this isn't the first time these two go, uh, you know, knuckleheads and hit each other in the head kind of thing. But I think for Max, he actually needs that stronger person uh, on the other end to kind of really take control of him and tell him, like, you need to listen to me because this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's what Max actually really needs. Um, I think on on like a, a different type of podcast, maybe there's a breakdown of how that relationship with Joss Verstappen, his father, uh, plays into his relationship with his race engineer. Yeah, good point. <laughs> I think there's some similar dynamics there. Uh, from App Maple Leafs 85, would you mind explaining the charging light situation Alonzo was asking about on Hamilton's final lap? So um, I saw that question, and so I went through – literally went through uh, the last three laps of Alonso's onboard um, camera. And he never said anything like that. Like that didn't actually come up. I mean, even though Lewis was, when Lewis came back out to try and get the fastest lap of the pits, you know, Alonso obviously closed that gap up to whatever it was like six seconds or something at the time when Lewis came out of the pits, but um, didn't hear anything on the radio and then also i didn't hear anything i went back and i rewatched the last three laps of the race broadcast and they didn't play anything out there so i'm not really quite sure what you're referring to but the essentially hopefully this answers your question but whenever the lights are flashing on the back of of the rear wing there's there's three lights there's two on the side and there's one up top and they flash um essentially what the car is doing is like harvesting energy. So it's re recapturing kinetic heat, all that kind of stuff and charging the battery. And that just lets the driver who's trailing, lets them know that that's what's happening with the car in front of them. So essentially that's what those flashing lights mean. Uh, other than that, they have lights that are on that are rain lights and they have to run those uh, whenever it rains, those things have to be turned on. Um, but yeah, Jesse, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to do this. I really appreciate it. I know it's your day off and everything and like, you know, enjoy it. I'm always, whenever I can, I love being on this pod. (laughs) Just talking racing with you is just, it's a joy. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, Let everybody know where they can find you and what you got going on. Yeah, no, everybody go follow at SDPN Sports. Uh, that's our that's our main feed for where this podcast is hosted. Follow us on YouTube if you don't already, youtube.com slash SDPN. Uh, our content has slowed down a little because it's the summer months and, and we're doing our thing, but expect a pickup late mid-August for, for all of your favorite hockey and basketball programs that are on network. And obviously, Nailing the Apex will keep charging on. Yeah, Jesse, thanks again. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, even though summer break is upon us, uh, it is we are not shutting down the factory at Nailing the Apex. We're going we're gonna to keep this bad boy going. So we'll have some pods coming out uh, next week and the week after. We'll have a actually really cool guest coming out in two weeks. I don't want to ruin it, but uh, it's about Ooh. engines. And we're going to talk about... Formula One engines, and this person's is as a very high level has their hands on these engines. So don't want to ruin it. That's as far as I'll get into it for now. But going to have this gentleman on in the next few weeks, and yeah, we'll have some more pods coming out. If you want more nailing the apex, you can get it wherever you get your podcast. Head over to Spotify, give us a five star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. 
Give us a follow on there. And then also write a review because it really helps us grow the show. You can watch us on YouTube and you can follow me at Tim Haraney. And thanks very much, everyone, for taking the time to watch and listen. We'll talk to you all in a few days' time.